Hello, most beautiful, beautiful soul friend. This is Claire and the Art of Life. And this is podcast number two around what is art. I'm making a series of podcasts uh, around the new header of my website, Women Art Sex. And this is number two of the art one. I did two on what, what is women and I'll be doing two at least on what is sex. And I'm really excited about unfolding <clears throat> these vast epic subjects at this particular time, this particular moment, this particular era that we're in, and this incredibly expansive, exciting, co-creative moment, this moment, this precise moment that we are in. Um, and yeah, I, I've spent the most of my life, this is in December, I will be celebrating my 50th anniversary of the zygote, of my co-creative entry into carnation uh, from the divine ether. <laughs> and, and because of that, there's a certain liberation that comes with that, with this, with recognizing the zygote for the first time and recognizing my co-creation at conception um, that I was co-created not just by my parents but my divine will that there was a, a part in it and that ultimately is what this all comes back to what is our co-creative capacity what is our will what drew us in and what is drawing us along and again, I'll, I'm going to reference a few aspects of what is done to us along the way, but that's not the focus. And what I was going to mention before is that, you know, I, this is my 50th anniversary of my creation <clears throat> and, co and divine co-creation, my will manifesting into the physical. And in that time that I've spent on this planet, inside my mother, outside my mother, in the wilds, on Gaia Sophia, in the systems and structures, in cities, in villages, in different cultures. Most of those 50 years I've had a some kind of material in my hand that's been making things. Um, and a lot of the time that's been like painterly or drawing or putting marks on, on surfaces. Um, I've also been creative in many other ways and I do have like serious artist hands. <laughs> you know, I have 50 year old hands um, that are, are not elegant. They're very well muscly fingers and um, gnarly knuckles and scars and short nails with mud underneath them in places. <laughs> very well exercised artist hands. They're not elegant like Georgia O'Keeffe's beautiful long fingers in the beautiful portrait she did of her hand that I was always really jealous of. Um, so these hands have, have worked at many things and they've formed mud into buildings and they've <laughs> planted millions of seeds possibly and they've provided love and nourishment for animals and humans and 
plants and projects and communities and so on. Um, and at the same time, that co-creative divine spark has been interfered with all along the way. And this is what I really want to talk about, about the separating what has been contrived around art, what art has been um, finto, like what we've been tricked into believing is art, which is essentially representative of what has been stolen from us. And But I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on how we actually possess like an inalienable aspect of ourselves is our creative capacity. Um, yeah, there's lots of people around the planet right now waking up to how we've been tricked, how we've been hoodwinked and manipulated out of our divine, essentially out of our divine co-creative capacities, which if they were fully conscious, fully awake, fully activated and fully present in our being, we would be creating paradise on earth. Those are just the facts. That's just what I know to be true. It's true in that from standing within the limitations of the system seems like a, a fable, a, an imaginary thing. And at many points in my life, I've been told by family, friends, acquaintances, professionals in certain fields, in inverted commas, that I am like talking about imaginary things. Yeah, exactly. The imaginal realm, the realm before something manifests. Our innate divine capacity to imagine things and then make them happen. The thing that many people within the restrictions of the system and the limitations of conventional structures and controversies and conservative tight views on life and on reality, on health, on religion, on commerce and so on. Folk who are inside that see anything outside that as a threat. So so instead of seeing anything outside that as the real freedom and pleasure, bliss and paradise that it is, they see it as a threat to their security. So they, they project some, that instead of seeing clearly, because they can't see clearly because they're in a big jumble of tensions and fears and artificial structures and things that have been projected outwards from them. So they look real because they're imagining them and they are real. They're focusing on them. They are real to them. But there's this other reality, this other dimension that's outside of that, that is basically way better and nicer and harmonious and divinely symbiotic with all things. And instead of seeing that, and seeing, oh, that looks better than this. Oh, let's go there. The distortion of what they're inside creates this barrier to that. And it doesn't just create a barrier that like stops them physically. They can still see it, but it stops them physically. It creates a barrier that also distorts the light, the beauty, the harmony of that, and turns it into something really ugly. But what they don't realise is they're, they're using shit colour, 
covered shit colored glasses to make everything look like shit so when one speaks to a person who's inside the controversy inside the structure and suggests a solution oh you could just do this you could just walk out you could just go into that freedom into that beauty into that love into that paradise like oh no 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 you're this you're that you're bad you're wrong you're you're mistaken you're (laughs) you know they're all all basically fables around us being too small too stupid too poor too weak too inferior not having the power but this is where this is where I really want to get down to like what real art is what the art of life is and what our art of life what our divine will is we have divine will our divine will is something that is inside our body and our being we might have been tricked into separating a little bit into a, an internal polemic, like a battery, a, a plus and a minus sign on us, so that we can be shoved inside a machine and powering up the the, the toys in the system or the, the tools in the system. But we are, we are much, much more than that. <laughs> much, much more than that. And the reality of what we are is very easily de- demonstratable demonstrable or a similar word based on to demonstrate it's it's very easy to see when we align our with our own will when we let go of the tension in our body when we let go of the frantic controlling mind and and literally let go of it not not when we harness it and make it sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up when we let it go you know let it be what it's doing let it bubble away there but don't be led by it don't be like following every thought and looking for every solution and and getting embroiled in the controversy when we just allow the mind to babble away like just like a little burn a little brook bubbling down the hillside you know just sparkling away in the sunlight when we allow the mind to simply do what it's naturally doing and let it do that more often rather than being led by it, just observe it from outside it. Then we can start to recognise that we don't have to be in that. We don't have to be led by that. We don't have to be, you know, struggling to breathe with a babbling brook going over our head. (laughs) Um, We can actually stand beside the river and observe the beauty of it. Observe the beauty of a mind babbling, just like a little river. It's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just doing what a mind naturally will do in a stressful situation, which is bubble about all over the place. So recognising that we actually are separate from that, we are greater than that, that there's much more, that's... I feel is is a way towards recognizing what our true divine will is. And once we recognize that we have a divine will, which is a quality of beingness within ourselves, which is pure and beautiful, divine, it's aligned. From there we can make very different decisions than what we what we make when our head is pushed under the water in a a rushing stream crashing on our head 
and our face pressed down into the stones and we can't breathe. It's a very different thing to be sitting at the side of that babbling brook and just watching the beauty of it. You know, it takes me back to the burn that goes down the side of our house in High Corrie on the Isle of Arran and the bigger burn, the, the white water, stupid English name that isn't the real name of it, but the beautiful crashing white water that, that rushes down over big granite boulders that have been worn down over centuries and millennia and eons and into crystal clear pools and one can lay down one's hands and sup from the most pure and clean of waters with you know no city pollution passing the prevailing weather passing over the top of the mountains and hitting the mountains having come across all the way across the Atlantic pure clean water coming from the sky pure clean water precipitating and sinking down into the rocks pure clear water bubbling up after being filtered by mystical crystals and fantastic Gaia Sophian energies and this pure clean living water that's what our mind is and it might seem like it's contaminated and <clears throat> You know, we, we might feel that we've got a, we might get fixated on the idea that we have a, a, a dirty mind, a mind that's too busy or too overstimulated, too active. But really, if we just observe it like a river and see the beauty of that, that it's overstimulated, so what? It's just a mind that's overstimulated. It's natural that a mind will overstimulate itself when it's exposed to lots of stimulation it's just natural so yeah this is a lot of explanation around what's actually going on in our minds um which is necessary to be able to stand back from it and and create not being led by the mind not being led by a small part of ourselves not being led by a small part of the brain or by front lobe consciousness or by the tension but just being able to stand back from it, and and that's what art really is. Art is the standing back from it. It's the sitting down and observing of it. <clears throat> and the slowly, slowly inhabiting of that quality of attention, which is divine will, which is consciousness, which is integrated consciousness, which recognises that the burn, the stream, the stream of consciousness isn't separate from us and can be brought into harmony with this. Um, the nature of the mind might always be to bubble and flow and have a stream of thoughts and ideas and inspiration. And the point, perhaps the whole challenge of this lifetime is to recognize that that is not separate from our divine will. On some level, the divine will has been contracted into that and has agreed has consented to that existing, to there being a polemic even, to, to there even being such separation of the mind and the being. And from there, when we see how separate we are and how different the aspects of us are, it's like the facets of a diamond. We can then see different colours through different aspects, just different colours, that's all. Blue is just as beautiful as red, is just as beautiful as yellow, and as orange, and as green and as purple, and as brown, 
Like every colour has its own quality and it's completely beautiful. Just in the same way that all the the pools and puddles and splashes and wildness and rushing of the burn of the water of the stream is beautiful in its perfection. It doesn't have to be labelled as bad. It doesn't have to be separated as bad. It doesn't have to be contracted. It can just be what it is. And this is where a practice in art comes in to helping us recognise that, that when we take, not being led by it, but allow the, the babbling to just be part of it, when we bring it out through our hands, bring it out, the expression, it starts to have a direction to it. So it's coming from the inside to the outside, but it's also coming from the centre, the quiet centre, the will, the divine aligned will. It's coming from the quiet centre out to the external, which, of which it's coming from the inside of the mind to the outside of the mind. And that's symbolic, symbolised by our hand putting colour on a surface or our hands acting to create form from mud or from clay or our hands putting ingredients together or putting structures together or sowing, gardening, planting seeds. But the specific activity of art of putting myriad colours into very specific patterns and forms which are a direct expression without being led by the conscious mind or the the front lobe conscious the limited mind the contracted mind not being limited by that but allowing something bigger and the greater river the, <laughs> the greater ocean perhaps or universe that this stream is flowing down into when we allow ourselves to just sit in that and be in that, something unique will come through our hand. Something unique will tip the brush in a certain way that will just flick the paint, spread the paint in a, a brush stroke that has never been made before. Never. Completely unique. And that, in turn, expresses, puts out into being. It's the perfect illustration the perfect metaphor of how we are able to create our reality and how our position in reality is completely unique. It can never be mimicked. The truth of it can never be mimicked. It can be mimicked superficially, but it's just a complete parody, a cartoon of what the life really is. And this is what the system has tried to beat out of us, traumatise out of us, fear out, fearmonger out of us, and homogenize out of us it's tried to mechanize it out of us technologize out of us but just this simple fact and act of coming into self taking a paintbrush picking up some glorious cold pressed pigment oil paint and placing it without following the dictation of the the mind without saying oh I should really uh, my teacher at school would have told me that I need to do this my art critic favorite art critic in the newspaper likes paintings like this so I'm going to try and paint like this I was trained in this discipline therefore I should paint this and I should do this kind of a mark making and that kind of a structure and I should paint a cat or so and so might like this so I should paint this if we if we just allow that stream to go on, but don't be led by it, if we allow it instead the mind, body, spirit to simply purely express through a brush stroke, 
again, it's a, it's like sitting at the side of the stream, the side of the burn, and just listening and observing and watching. We're, but we're acting. We're also acting. This is where it's it's demonstrable, demonstrable that the divine spark is both in us and all around us. Oh, hang on, there's a loud, a loud speaker coming selling vegetables. Hang on, one second. That's then passed. Fragole, patate, and other um, unrecognisable things coming through a loudspeaker. Um, they go around with a van. It's a beautiful thing. You know, dialect words for vegetables, which I can't always pick up. So, yeah, a little break just to bring us back into this divine flow. Uh, yeah, the divine act of, like Michelangelo's, the divine spark between the two fingers on the Sistine Chapel. Um, when we when we sit down, like if if a person, if a living man or woman has not sat down with a paintbrush for a long time, or if they've never sat down with a paintbrush, or if they've sat down too much with a paintbrush, following rules and regulations and pressures and hierarchies and ego and fears um, it can be very interesting what comes up what I'm suggesting is that either way it doesn't matter what what your your past or your experiences or what you've been trained in or what you feel that you are have mastery of when one sits down with a paintbrush there is always this opportunity and possibility that we are literally rebirthing. And I mean that quite literally, that we're literally starting completely afresh, starting with a blank ca canvas, a blank slate, a tabula rasa, a tela vota. When we start with that nothingness, it's symbolic, very, very symbolic, of the zero state, which doesn't really exist, it's just the potential state before something comes into manifestation. The void that nature wants to fill, the space that is gifted to us by life, by divine consciousness, by universal intelligence, by God, that we may make something of it co-create with God, with divine intelligence, with the collective. There's a space opened up for us there. And that moment when we have that brush and there's a blank canvas or even a canvas that's filled with something already, when we pick up the brush, there's this point where we're starting completely anew. And that is not a rebirth in the sense of the laboring and the child coming out of the womb, but the rebirth instead of the conception, the co-creation. And this is such an important definition um, difference to make. The difference between creating from tension, trauma and limitation which I can go into a lot more, but that is really another subject that everyone has to do their own research around. What happens 
during Mekanai's birth, what happened during most of our births, and what then gets put in place in terms of paperwork, in terms of limitations of what a child is and what a baby's rights are, and the medicalization, the the scientism that's projected onto our bodies, and how that the mother is enslaved and hooked into that, and conditioning us to be like her, tied into lots of bondage and limitations and not to know our divine self, which already existed in the womb nine or ten months before. I'm talking here about the difference between the birth, which is usually very contrived. It doesn't. It's not meant to be, it shouldn't be, but it's usually very, very contrived in our current systems. A, a mother is, it's very rare that a mother has an orgasmic and cosmic birth that she's designed for, that the body is designed for, and the that she should be prepared and educated and ready for, ripe for. That's something that very rarely happens, but it should happen and it will happen more because women are now educating each other about what natural birth and real birth actually is. And I'm saying real birth, I mean what the natural process of a birth unfolding naturally can be and should be like why would it not be that why would it have to be this really gross tortured thing that is put out in all the movies and all the books and all the stories and all the bullshit patriarchal projection of how women should give birth with a man with gloves on and metal instruments yanking a baby out and clamping its fucking breathing apparatus there's a real difference between that and what can and should be which is the orgasmic reflex and look into it do the research if you want to figure out what I'm actually saying around that because it's very very significant that all the aspects of what's interfered with it at birth are not what they're, they're meant to be it's like we converge sorry not converge what's the thing separate converge we we separate we fork at that point we fork at birth not in the natural way that we're meant to separate from the mother, but we fork in, into, instead of going into our potential and into expansiveness and into our mystical existence that we're meant to be expanding into, we instead contract into this horrendous enslaved trauma that we're not meant to be living in. That is not what's meant to exist. So one of the ways that we can make sense of this and 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 come back to in terms of really understanding our true nature is to go back to this zygote, to even meditate on it, to put our attention there, to celebrate that rather than celebrating the trauma of our medicalized birth and enslavement, which happened in the hospital for most of us. Most of us, there are exceptions. The, the co-creative moment of the zygote, it's, it's really um, powerful even just to think of it in the most simplistic terms to think of how we entered, we came in at that point. We weren't created from nothing. There was a situation that led to us being created. Our consciousness, will and spirit could not have just been made mechanically with a mother and a father having sex. That's just way too simplistic. It's simply, when we just think about it for a minute and feel into it for one minute, 
feel into what that zygote was, what the zinc spark was, what the point of explosion was, where the sperm entered the egg and something exploded. There was an, an electrical pulse, a, a veritable creative orgasmic explosion that happened at that point and the mother would feel it if the mother is conscious of her womb she'll feel that she'll feel the conception and it will feel like an orgasmic reflex or an orgasmic expansive pleasureful blissful thing and she'll maybe get a hot flush or a, a dizzy head depending on her own relationship with her body so she'll have a sense in her body of something divine happening, of a divine spark entering. But even when we think to that spark that then expanded into a child and was born, when we think of ourselves now and feel into that and, and allow our mind to just explore that, like be inquisitive about that, it'll be very clear demonstrable that there's something mystical there and that there was something before there like how could there just have been nothing and then a mechanical putting together of some chemistry <laughs> created a divine will and consciousness and all this potential symbiotic creative outpouring into the world I don't think so mate <laughs> I think that no matter what science says about it there is absolute it's absolutely undeniable that something divine existed before then and it was coming through rather than being created from nothing and again this comes back to what we're actually doing when we're sitting down and co-creating we're sitting with our divine power to co-create which involves not just us and a canvas and our ego and our imagination projected out that's one way of doing it, but that's a very, very limited way of doing it. When we let go and allow something to flow through us, it's very representative of what happened at this ego, which was us consenting through divine order to come through into life, consenting to come in through life, to go back into nothingness and come through into something and to be in this deep physicality of this life, this deep, challenging physicality with all the madness that's going on at this point, all the psychosis, all the psychopaths and people with knives and guns threatening us and pushing us to conform and us growing up through that, growing up through it and out of it and recognising that even when horrendous damage has been done to us, nothing can separate us from our divine reality from the divine nature of what we are even if the cord was clamped too quickly and our first breath was utterly traumatized we've been in a soft quiet warm space completely peaceful all the sounds around us softened our mother holding us inside her body soft and warm and wet and fluid <clears throat> the rhythm of her heart and pulse pulsing through our umbilical into our body a perfect balance of all these elements coming into us and out of us and everything being perfectly in harmony suddenly out in the world and someone's clamping our breathing apparatus so that our first breath is first 
we have to eliminate the, the birth fluid from our lungs, give us fucking tempo materiale, the material time to do that, please. But no, they're already sucking things out of our mouth, smacking us on the backside, shaking us to moving us, clamping the cord, forcing the first breath to be completely traumatized. Like when we go back to this ego, we, we can start to feel into these things and into <clears throat> why we've always had problems in our throat, why we hold our breath in when we're tense, why our spine becomes rigid, why our pelvis clasps and, and um, contracts. We can recognize how we use language around all these things to separate us from what we're actually feeling because it's so fucking traumatizing and it's so upsetting <clears throat> that that somebody was paid to do that to us and our parents lay down and accepted it happening to us when we were in our most vulnerable state, when our mother was in our most vulnerable state, that our father wasn't there with a freaking spear or a sword fighting off these evildoers that are trying to interfere and that are not welcoming us into the world. Like this all comes into the creative process. It all comes into how art has been separated from us, put in museums, turned into a thing of the mind and the ego. When we step back down into our whole body that isn't traumatized, that isn't that existed before the birth, that lived for almost a year before the birth, <laughs> you know, the that was waiting before, waiting in the wings, and then came through the zygote, came through the zinc spark, came through the conception. When we think of how all that happened, and that is real and true and verifiable, when we own that and we work from there, not that I, every time I sit down at the canvas, I'm, I'm thinking about the zygote and think, imagining myself coming in, but there's something that's liberated by when we go back to that. There's something that's liberated when we let go of our birth trauma, the trauma in our throat, the trauma in our pelvis. There's something, not something, there's everything that is liberated by that when we release what was done to our mothers, what was done to our fathers who were sent out the room or told to sit down and shut up and told that he couldn't be there and protect the mother. When we release all of this, and it is a lot, but it is releasable, we come down into this reality, the real reality of the paradise that is our cosmic soul alive in this body right now, that's alive in your body right now. It might have been disguised or, or like clouded in some way, but it's always there. The cosmic soul is always present in the body. The cosmic will is always aligned with what we're doing. Whether we're submitting to horrendous torture or not, whether we're contracting and agreeing, consenting to be in fear and have our health interfered with, have our body experimented on, have our body doused in chemicals or um, locked in into crazy like insane rhythms and unnatural forms and structures even when we're doing that our will exists perfectly our cosmic will is perfectly seated as it's always been it has always been perfectly seated in our core in our being in our cells in our dna in the deeper aspects of self 
in the energetic body. And it's not separate from anything. And again, coming back to <laughs> if I can actually talk about the, the practice of art, if I can really get the words around it. Our sitting down at the canvas is that is exactly that. It's it's to do with our complete uniqueness at this point in time, in this moment and now. It's to do with what's what is the font of expression that is at all times like a not like a volcanic for, force that that splurts out in paintings and splurts out in emotional outbursts or splurts out in demonstrations or um rebellion against what's going on in the world or 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 bursts out in striving and and struggling to get a buck and uh, a dollar and struggling to force the world into a form that is acceptable to us when we instead just come back right down into our beingness and we know where we came from and we know the divine nature of where we came from. It's not that we have to do that. It's not that we have to do all that research and do all that releasing of trauma before we get to the paintbrush and the canvas. The beauty of the purity of the art practice and the art of art and the mastery of it is that the more we sit down, at first, when we sit down, we might just bring up a load of psychosis in our own minds. We might bring up the trauma of the deep, deep awareness of how we've been traumatized in life. Whatever needs and wants to come out will simply come out through our hand because we're not getting in the way of it, because we're letting go of the of the structures. If we sit down spontaneously in that moment, with the blank canvas and then just put one mark on top of another on top of another and just allow it to flow out of ourselves then whatever needs to be released will naturally and homeopathically like gently and methodically will release itself it's already released we made the mark the mark is down it's there it's been released the what wanted to come through the hand will naturally come through it might not come through in the way that we are like well i want to address this situation that happened when I was younger and I want this to this anger to come out in these red stabbing marks you know it that's a way of doing it but it's not as pure as the pure form of us with our hand on a brush and dipping in paint and spreading it the purity of having no agenda no structure no control with that of purely co-creating brings us into the divine <clears throat> not just into the divine within ourselves <clears throat> but also into the divine whole of what like we didn't come randomly into a completely um what's another word for random like we didn't come randomly in at this random time in a random place everything is divinely aligned everything has sacred geometry in it and has perfection in it it's only the superficial interruption of that and clouding of that that makes us think temporarily that it's not, that it's not that, that it's not divine will, it's not divinely aligned, it's not sacred geometry. And the sacred geometry isn't just us as a single, singular unit, separate from all things. The sacred geometry is 
everything. It's every movement of every finger. It's every hair on our body. It's every breath that we take that is breathing in every breath that everybody else has ever taken, <laughs> ever. We're so entwined. Our biome is intimately making love with the environment around us continuously. It's being penetrated and it's penetrating. As we move, we take in the air and we're also filling up the space. We're penetrating the air and the space around us. Everything is interacting with everything else. The reverberation of my breath going out into the world, expanding, infecting the world, as it were, contaminazione, contaminating the world, influencing the world, influenza, moving and breathing and interacting and flowing with all things. We're not separate from the world. You can't put a mask on and separate yourself from that. <laughs> the air is just coming in and out the sides of the mask. Even if you put like rubber seals around it, it's coming in. What What is influencing us and what is affecting us? It's all positive. It's all good. Even the toxicity, the toxicity is going to strengthen our body to be able to withstand and even absorb and process toxicity nothing is not sacred everything is sacred there's nothing that isn't medicine there's nothing that isn't meant to inform us and move us into a bigger place within ourselves and again, I'm trying to ground this in like what the brush stroke is and what the brush, what is really happening when we allow ourselves to flow into a painting, flow into an artwork, flow into the art of life in that moment. And in every moment, I'm trying to release in myself the expression of what that is through my own throat and words and my unique voice and accent. And how it fits into everything else. It doesn't feel like it fits into everything else. It feels like the world is very resistant to my art and to my words and to my work. That I have a very small audience and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller in this beautiful time where we're cresting the perfection of our cresting the top of the hill of that hard, hard ride up the hill. And we're cresting because we're going to suddenly have an, an overview of everything and realise where we've been climbing up the hill and look back at how hard we climbed and we're suddenly going to see 360 degrees around. And then we can decide from there exactly where we want to go. And it's all easier because it's all we can either fly or effortlessly lift up into the sky. Or we can walk down the hill. We can walk down any side we want to go. We can walk backwards if we want and readdress what, what it is that we've done before and where we were. But the important thing is that we're our feet are on something solid. Yes. Our breath is breathing in something that's all around us. We're interacting at all times with, in multiple relationships with multiple things and those relationships are, are exiting. Um, the relationships are going out into the world and reverberating and re-reverberating, knocking on and knocking on further. So well, someone's just going by the house with... Um, a noisy um, valija. That should be them gone by now. There's um, some guys who have a lot of cats who um, regularly go up and down the stairs with big, big suitcases to fill them up with cat litter and cat food and then come clumping up and down back. 
<laughs> to their house um, to feed the cats, bless them. So it, it's quite a noisy thing in the background, trying to trying to keep everything um, so you can hear what I'm saying. Yeah, so mm, it's it's really nice to stop in the middle and actually just feel like feel energetically what's going on. Um, this is a very intense subject, and it's very intense putting things into words about these essentially divine transmissions. It's it's hard to do it. It's work because not because what is flowing naturally and divinely is is hard work it's not but but what's work is recognizing where the contracts and tensions and limitations are my fear that you won't hear what I'm saying my fear that this is going out into the world and there's no audience for it and my fear that I'm just wasting my time here my fear that the resistance is so strong that I have to keep battering against it in an effortful way when really um the divine will flow in when people are ready for it. The, my my striving um, doesn't make it make it happen any quicker. <laughs> and the more I can accept that and recognize that um, the bliss of simply expressing what is true is the right thing, no matter how it's accepted in the world. Again, this is part of correcting the sacred geometry of our relationship with all things. Um, we have a relationship with all things, whether or not we're seeing that and in denial of it. And again, the painting, when we create a painting, especially when we create it, create it from divine conscious or we create whatever art we're making, photographs of ourselves, beautifully, naturally, without clothes on a beach in a forest somewhere, when we're creating from the purity of what we are, the medicine that that then makes it, the true healing that that then brings, because all it, it's bringing with it the divine spark, it's bringing with it the co-creative will. That co-creative will essentially at the truth and the core of it wants all of us to know our true nature so the art when it's created from that place or from movement into that place from a, a willingness to go into that place that that purity that divine truth that divine nature of what we are as a pure expressive being a unique pure expressive being when when we create something from that and then put that creation that painting that artwork that photograph out into the world it's going to have a very particular effect it's not going to have the same effect as a conventional artwork <clears throat> because the conventional artwork is presumed to be contracted into gallery hierarchy agency limitation ego very particular money laundering, disgusting, horrible perversions of what art is that mean that whilst somebody's sitting outside with a hat in the street begging for money just to get a loaf of bread or something to feed themselves with, inside some rich white man 
is getting a billion dollars for whatever contrivance that the the folk who are rushing around the emperor with no clothes on and admiring his clothes and saying how beautiful they are are funding his coffers the privileged micro percentage of the world that distortion of what art is when really the guy with the hat is as great as an artist or a better artist than anyone in the gallery that distortion of the separation and the polemic between the two things that they're so close to each other and yet they're so obviously very very playing a different story that conventional use of art display of art um stealing of art up into the hierarchy the guy on the street with the hat begging for money is such a, a beautiful illustration that his creativity has been stolen from him harvested into the system and monetized and turned into this rich white man pretending to be an artist in inverted commas an artist as if such a thing exists and that has been he's been labeled and given a place in the hierarchy by all these people who work within that system and play to it and pander to it and pretend that the emperor has actually got clothes on when he's actually standing there naked in front of the crowds and the wee boy is the only one pointing out saying um excuse me <laughs> that's me i'm the i'm the wee boy he's like excuse me the emperor has no clothes on that illustrates how people have been conditioned all the people in the gallery not just the people at the top paying the money for the billion dollars for the shark and formaldehyde or whatever the thing is, whatever the current thing is. Not just the artist, all the people who visit the gallery pay six pounds to go in, six dollars, six euros to go in, get the ticket, agree with the ticket and the payment. They're paying coin to agree that that's what art is. They're standing in the gallery and looking at it. They're consenting to it being even though they don't understand it they don't comprehend it in any way but they stand under it they accept it as like oh that I don't know anything about art that's what art is nowadays oh well you know it's this next year it'll be something else it'll be even wackier they're agreeing that they're enslaving and putting into poverty this guy outside in the hat they are actually literally doing that they're giving their money to the institution that verifies the thing. They're giving their money to the artist. They're giving their money up into the hierarchy that is projecting this completely artificial, made-up structure that's completely false. This is the important thing. It's false. It's not true beauty, spirit, love, paradise, gorgeousness, expression, divine expression, divine will. It's a complete distortion of the ego and that we all collectively agree to that. Well, some of us do. I personally don't. <laughs> I, as a living woman, living as an art expression, do not agree to that. But it's there. So getting back to what I was saying about when we create from the divine and we put our art out in the world, it's going to act 
like a homeopathic remedy, it's absolutely going to, some folk are going to be riled by it. Some folk are going to be affected by it, but there's very few people who won't have some kind of reaction because it's made from truth. Whereas the, the, the myriad galleries around the world, the, of course there is real art in galleries around the world, in places, but the majority of it has been contrived to such a part that it's not going to affect us in that natural way. And it's really important to accept the power and the responsibility when we make real art, when we work purely from the expression, that it will bring something up in someone else. Even the first very messy abstract that we create, which is just pure colour, marks, frustration at not feeling comfortable, not having mastery of the paint, put on our wall in our house, people who look at it are going to have, they're going to get affected by it, even if it's like, oh, that's stupid, you you haven't worked the paint well. They're actually expressing themselves, that they're frustrated, that they aren't able to express themselves. And it's probably an aspect of envy about it. There's probably an aspect of discomfort around their own trauma about having been schooled badly around art and having been conditioned into believing that they're not co-creators. And this is the really important part. This is the really important part is the power and the responsibility, the divine spark, the power, the, the sacred will, the divine will that wants to come through us and wants to express in this world, whatever we're doing. When we put it into a pure form like that, we really are doing this incredible service to the world where we're presenting truth in a form that no matter what we've painted, no matter what the marks say or what somebody else interprets the marks as, the marks are the truth. The marks are you with pure pigment in your hand expressing the movement of your body without interference of ego, without the the contraction to a commission or to a gallery that I have to paint it like this so that the gallery will agree to take it without any kind of presumption or tension or just the free flow of you and art, you and the brush, you and the pigment, you and the paint, the oil, the mixer, the sunlight shining on the canvas or the board or whatever the paper just you and the purity of that representation, that metaphor for divine manifestation. When when we start freeing up that circle of mind, heart, spirit, hand, imagination, even just letting things flow, we're sitting beside the, the burn, we're sitting beside the flowing river of the mind and so on and things just babbling and marks just coming and a mess just being made. We're sitting beside it, but we're also in it. We're also, we are the burn as well. We are the stream. We're in it and we're of it and we're bigger than it. So we start to really recognise and we put out works that reflect that, that we are purely in that, the purest form of expression and uniqueness things that will never be repeated again. They can't be repeated because they were made by our hand. When they're made by the hand, they can't be repeated. They can never be repeated. Nobody could ever, they could mimic it. They could even mimic it masterfully. 
and copy the painting, but they would never be putting on the brush at the exact brush with the exact, exact bristles, the exact humidity in the room, the exact sweeping up of the paint. They could never do that. It's not mimicable. Well, again, it's mimicable, but the mimicking isn't the, the original thing. The original thing is completely originale. It's completely unique. It's inimicable. It's inimitable. And the words, those words have power that inimitable, inalienable truth of what we are will come through our brushstroke if we sink down into ourselves and if we give ourselves the space to do that. And then the more we give ourselves space to do that and the more we put our art out into the world, the more we gift it to folk, the more we gift it in return for a reciprocal gift, the more we expose it but not in the conventional sense again this is a something that's being recreated just now the whole way in which artists express themselves and put themselves out in the world especially with the decentralized world the need to create a private space rather than it being a public space because the public is so distorted public ideas about art and contractions around artists and systems of art are so distorted and corrupted and completely diseased like completely wrong and bad, <laughs> wrong and bad, bad people. The, the need to create a new place to put it out in the world is very significant because again, I, I mean, I'm getting into, this is almost an hour long and I'm getting into some really deep stuff that probably needs a third podcast to talk about this, like what is art? But <sighs> the art that's created from a pure place and that is going in the direction of purity and of spirit and of divine will is going to have a very different effect on the world. It's not going to fit into the gallery system and whatever old ideas that we have inside ourselves as in inverted commas artists of putting that out into the world, they have to be deconstructed, I'm afraid. They do, it's just what it is. It's just what it is. And those of us who are aligning with the co-creative, the conscious and co-creative way, the way, which is going to lead to the world being a paradise rather than being this horrendous, suffering prison planet that it currently is. Those of us who are creating from that pure place and creating art from that pure place are going to recognise they're going to we are going to recognise each other and we're going to start creating with each other. We're already coming into little huddles and clusters and hives and places where we can work efficiently together with our energy, all uniquely express ourselves and we, where we can lift ourselves up together. And from there, the art that comes out from that and from that energy and that creative energy, there's a whole other realm of complexity that I would like to unravel and I will unravel in fact the the what is sex podcast that I want to do probably might have to be done first before I come back to this subject and it is um there's a reason why I took down my school of real art and the whole structured sharing around like how you not just how you make art from a clear and pure place but also how you put it out in the world how it goes out in the world from a clear and pure place that is something that we're co-creating together now and it's something that it needs time for the old structures to fall down and for us to take the structures down from inside ourselves 
the monetization of creativity, like true creativity cannot be monetized. It can only be gifted and rewarded in a very pure and spontaneous way by the by the collective to the person who's the the co-creator uh, i love that um it 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 went from 59 minutes and 59 seconds to one hour there just the one and then the one appeared the one zero 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 one came up on the screen just as i was saying that i love how yeah, the perfection of that. <laughs> so yeah, the oneness and the zeros and ones, um, the expanding from nothing into manifestation, the blank canvas and the full canvas both represent that and our putting it out into the world in this very specific time, in these very specific places in which we all are, <clears throat> this is what's happening confirmation comes from doing it and when we all start to co-create more and more we will start to see everything around us shift I guarantee it's just the facts it's just the truth it's just what's happening um the art is going to stop being a commodity and an object um that's objectifiable it's going to start being a living medicine not medicine in the conventional sense that's a whole other series of podcasts to, to unfold but true medicine natural medicine in fact the word medicine I'm pretty sure medis, medicina I'm pretty sure it's got to do with like compartmentalizing things and labeling things that is not actually the right word maybe cure curing and even that curating that's probably relating to conserving things and fixing them um the healing, hopefully healing, the homeopathic healing quality of our art that we are creating in these times and how we put it out in the world, it, it will naturally, because it is natural, it will naturally go out into the world in a natural way. It won't go out into the other ways. If we force it out into the other ways, it'll get either rejected or it's not that it'll get contaminated, but things will get projected onto it that are not what it is. And we'll sense that and we'll sense Oh, I don't, I don't want that for my work. That my work is pure. It's real. It's the truth. It needs to be in a place where, very slowly, as people wake up, they will recognize, ah, that's the truth. I want that in my house, and it'll come back into the private realm again. I think one of the beautiful things that is unfolding in this time that I sense as someone who has worked as a quote unquote artist for all these years. And really for all my life, creating, making with my hands, being rooted in the earth naturally, being a natural woman, a natural young woman and a natural adult woman. Again, not the word adult, that's not the word I want to use. <laughs> a living woman, a living woman, a living mature woman. Mature probably isn't the word I want to use either, but a living, vibrant, alive, more vibrant woman than I was before perpetually becoming more alive and more aligned with divine will it's hard to give it a good catchphrase I get a neat label but that's the whole point things shouldn't be labeled they should have divine descriptions of them through living voice in each moment and that's a bit like what our art is as we communicate through our voice in a natural way we also in our art in a natural way 
it's all a healing force that we're bringing. It's a healing and alchemizing force. That's the word. It's a transmuting force. It's a transmuting quality that we're bringing into the world. And that's very different from a nice painting that matches the curtains in a really rich person's house. You know, that's a really different thing. Um, as satisfying as it might be to sell a painting for a few thousand euros or half a million dollars, as satisfying as that might feel, it's not going to feel satisfying like it is to get a few hundred euros <clears throat> from a very dear friend who is moved on the most profound level to have that painting in their house and they wouldn't usually be able to afford a painting that big and they would usually have to pay for it up front and they wouldn't be able to do that and paying a tax to the gallery a massive commission to the gallery or a commission to the artist my enabling and empowering my friend to have a, a, a huge painting that's very meaningful very deep very natural very magical and mystical with all kinds of manifesting spells and and um, mantras in it and prayer in it, my allowing her, letting go of it, letting it go to her and letting it be paid for by reciprocal gift that she's already given me over the years. She's already supported me over the years in so many ways, bringing baskets of food when I was didn't have money for food, bringing gifts of a beautiful dress that I'm looking at as I make this podcast my, this beautiful dress that she gifted to me that I was very covetous of <laughs> um her buying me dinner several times and you know this re reciprocity of gift the free flow and reciprocity and acceptance of gift and then her additionally gifting me with money when I'm gifting her the painting it's just it's much more organic spontaneous unique mutually beneficial and for the well-being of the whole so those kind of relationships I I know and feel are going to get much more reciprocal uh, much more richly present in the world they're going to exist more in a way that my difficulty with my discomfort with selling through the the conventional system I always joke about how <laughs> A gallery owner, I think it was the Compass Gallery in Glasgow, uh, a dear friend. I used to babysit her children and hung out with their family a bit because I was staying just down the road from them with an, another beautiful family that I lived with for a while, with a, a beautiful young woman who I was at art school with, Johanna. Anyway, we were all connected, but I went back years later and went to the gallery and, and was suggesting... Um, would you like to have my paintings in your gallery and blah, blah, blah. I really loved the style of the gallery, the, the other artists who were showing there. But then the contraction comes and the limitation of like, you know, we had a various conversations about how I'd been subsisting as an artist, how I'd lived up in the spiritual community, how I'd somehow just sold a painting here, sold a painting there, had some success in Cyprus, blah, blah, blah. But then she was saying, Claire, it seems like you've only ever sold to friends and family and people that you know. And I thought, oh, actually, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it like that. And it sounds actually like you're trying to put a negative slant on it. But of course I sell to people I know because I have a connection with them. It's not friends and family in the contrived sense, you know, I have an image of Vincent van Gogh and his brother 
patronizing him and sending him gifts of money and stuff <clears throat> and consenting to take his paintings when he didn't really wanting want them and he couldn't really sell them in his gallery you know Theo the the art dealer or whatever the story was you know had this image of that imprint and how those contractions and limitations on what we are then keep the energy of the artist down keep the true creativity of the artist down because the artist has to be shackled collared and put in a kennel in order to get them to sell paintings through galleries because really I don't want to pay a gallery to show my work that's like demeaning it's diminishing what I am and it's diminishing what the art is and there's only one time in my whole life that I've sold a painting via a gallery that I never met the people I don't know if they even picked up the drawing the painting it was a wee drawing um but the last time I saw it, the painting was, the drawing was there in its little frame in the gallery. And I said to the owners, oh, it wasn't, was that sold? Because I got money for it. I got paid for it. And I got this transaction for it. And I don't even know if they ever picked it up. But the point was, that's the, the one time. Other times, even when I've sold through art fairs or via um, agencies of some sort, like supporters, people who are managing me, I've always been there and I've always been talking to the person who's bought it and there's always been a, a reciprocal conversation, a dialogue. And even when someone's come, like a guy came quite randomly from Rome, turned up at my house, phoned me for an appointment, came to my studio and bought two big paintings for a really good price. And that was, that was an unusual thing. That was quite transactional, but still we kept connection afterwards. We had really beautiful conversations. We chatted away on social media for a while you know, there was always a conversation, there was always more. And that's the thing that has always kept me from being pulled into the transactional. You know, when the when the women in the gallery was saying to me, have you only ever sold to family and friends? And when the other gallery, what was it, Brown's Art Gallery in Tain, when I lived up in the Northeast, I was thinking, oh, I should really get into the gallery system, I'll go up there. And I was putting my art up there taken up to show him and then he started to say yeah but are these not they're not exactly miniatures but if you're going to do miniatures you need to actually do miniatures like make them even smaller and paint them in more detail and do this and do that and I was like what are you talking about they're just the size they are it's like you know you should make them like you know four centimeters instead of nine centimeters and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> the painting is the painting it's there do you want it or not if you don't want it just say no it doesn't have to be that it's inadequate or it's just if you don't want it, you don't want it. That's OK. That's your will. That's your choice. I'm not any worse off for you not wanting it. You know, like what is it? I don't have to go away home and make a different painting so that you will want it. I'm not in contract to you. I'm not your servant. I'm not servantable. So again, these are I'm just explaining these little anecdotes from my own life as a so-called artist because it's really relevant to where we are now. Like I will never be in that kind of a contract and I never was really, apart from the one time I allowed a gallery to sell a painting to someone I didn't know for me on my behalf and pay me in money in a transaction. And that, it, it felt very uncomfortable. It felt like a loose end that wasn't, you know, an energetic thing that went out and that was, I didn't know where it was. And I think that is really how you know, the contraction, the diminishment, the the hooking into us, into our ego of, 
you should do this or you shouldn't do that. Those things are certainly in my own life and in the lives of people that I know who are painting, that I'm painting with and co-creating with now. Um, those things are falling away. And we might secretly harbour, you know, a secret perverse hope that one day our work will be in a gallery and we'll get a good price and we'll be worth money. But really, um, I think what we really know and want and love and crave for and yearn from our deepest heart is that our work has meaning and it has meaning by being with people who see the meaning in it. It has meaning by being in the home, in the private space of someone who is living, a one who is living and is going to have a living relationship with our art. That's where the real life and the real purpose and the real value of the art is. And if they give us a reciprocal gift, it's all beautiful. If they don't give us a reciprocal gift, they're probably gifting in another way to us. It's not likely that we're just going to give a free painting to someone just for no reason, just because someone demands it. Um, you know, the old days of of people offering, you know, people in positions of power in the hierarchy offering us exposure are over. That's not going to happen. Not in my watch. <laughs> not in my divine watch. Um, so yeah, just to just some some little uh, anchoring anecdotes to to keep the flow around this, keep the keep bridging and drawing drawing lines of connection, threads of connection that are building into a solid fabric, a solid, beautiful, expensive fabric, not expensive, but valuable fabric, a real fabric that we together can create this fabric of our existence, weave this fabric of our existence in a much more solid, natural, beautiful, useful way so that the fabric is protecting us making us look beautiful, fitting our form beautifully, making us feel comfortable, protecting us from the elements where the elements are not symbiotic with keeping us warm or dry and so on. The fabric that we are co-creating right now is very different from the fabrics and structures that are not natural and that are contrived and that are made to manipulate our ego and hook us into systems that are enslaving us the truth of what we unleash when we sit with that paintbrush and sit freely and sit without restriction on mind, ego, body, armouring, etc. Um, yes, we become much greater than the sum of the parts. I'm going to talk much more about this. Um, we all talk about this in our co-creation sessions. I'm just going to speak a little bit about them because I want to sign off here and not make this too long. It's very long already. And um, <clears throat> these are, I can feel the bigness of the subjects. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and how the sharing of them has to be kept in a, a living, flowing way. And yeah, the co-creation sessions, that's precisely what we're doing and we're getting down into our, our own unique practices shared in a collective space and the lifting of vibration as we're working together. So we spend about two and a half hours each session 
and we we do two sessions on a Wednesday. That just happens to be the day that the the handful of us that are working together are are able to um, coordinate through different time zones, mostly in the European time zone, um, eleven a.m. and four p.m. I have a couple of new people coming, and I I want to point out that these current sessions we have a maximum of 10 folk, 10 living women and living men can come into them. And I can upgrade that, but I do feel that the, um, I think 10 will actually be a lot. So I think we currently have maximum six and that is a, a really good amount. That's, that's a really nice five and six is a really nice amount. Um, I think up to 10 would be really beautiful. And at the same time, I can really feel how the expansion is will be organic and is organic. And it's good to have a cap just now on it. And I might open up other sessions if there's the call for it and if the energy goes that way. But I can feel how slowly the expansion is. The expansion is a slow thing and it, it can't come from ego of needing lots of followers or lots of gifters on my patreon or lots of people supporting me by its nature it has to come from love and harmony and what's good for the whole and the whole is still in this point of peaking the crest and the whole is still in the point of structures inside us and outside of us crumbling including the structures of ego and armoring and so on and separation that are all artificial structures and artificially traumatically imposed that process has to be done in a certain gentle way and i'm just comprehending the mastery of that and that is about the art of this life right now the art of life like how we actually go at the pace that is right that is natural in the same way that we come to a cosmic orgasm cosmic birthing cosmic orgasmic birthing and cosmic orgasmic living blissful living symbiotic paradise living we come to that through letting go and through allowing what naturally wants to unfold reaching a place of paradise and optimum blissful living and harmony as a whole is different from that as an individual just in the same way as a contract, a contractual or tense orgasm, peak orgasm is very different from the building of orgasmic energy that is literally an infinite, like how infinite do you want to go? Just keep connecting with the universe and you will become infinitely, blissfully, orgasmically, expansively connected with all things just in a similar way to how different those things are, there, there's a path from one to the other. <clears throat> By definition, we can't go from being severely contracted into being completely expansive apart from when we die. And that release that we get is the orgasmic release of into ecstatic oneness with all things. The contrast, because it's a contrast with what was before, that before was so contracted, and then the relative feeling of release of expansion at death is relatively orgasmic compared to that. It's explosive, it's euphoric, it's joining oneness. 
the the pleasure of going from a contracted state into a less contracted state guides us because it's more pleasurable each step of the way and therefore that's how we know to go in that direction it's more expansive it's more free it's more easy it's more effortless it flows more in that way and at each step of the direction it's in a way it feels like it's it's there's less mistakes we can make because it just naturally will go in that way in the same way the bigger the river gets the more it will solidify where it is the more it will push down into the bedrock and the weight of the water will define where it's going and it will flow stronger it'll flow stronger until it becomes gets to the ocean and like releases into the ocean so yeah there's something in all that and I will be going on into other other communications about this other transmissions about this um again thank you so much for being here with me for bringing your beautiful attention into what I'm sharing and if you would like to gift or reward me for this I would love to receive your gift I really appreciate and love getting gifts and I I love people joining my Patreon love having people on my Patreon that really helps the most to create a, a rhythm a monthly rhythm of income which I I haven't had conventionally like a proper wage in my life as it were and having it in terms of collective gifting and in reward for what I'm doing in sharing these cosmic gifts essentially is just amazing and I reciprocate and gift through not just through my podcast but also through various other benefits and privileges like the more I'm gifted I don't want to be rich I don't need lots of money but the small amount of money I I work on allow I work with allows me to return my gifts in in a relatively neat and small amount to people. And at the same time, I would love to share more, share more of my gifts. I would love to share my house. I would love to do art retreats and living in gift retreats and to support folks in healing and expansion and transitioning into gift, gift living, and to see an example, a living example of my life as how I live in gift. I really want to be able to do that. I'm currently working on my back room and any gifts that I get, any monetary gifts that I get will go directly into that and into creating a really divine space for someone to come and live and co-create and work with me here in this Italian, magical Italian medieval quarter and to commune with me in the gardens and to be immersed in the beauty and paradise of this life. Um, so yeah, I... I have a whole vision around that and you're supporting that uh, financially is a really beautiful planting of seeds and investment in that that also you may benefit from and um yeah i i also gift paintings so a painting gift might come to your way one day anyway lots more to share all this beautiful stuff and more to share come and join me on patreon or on the hive.blog, there's a referral link if you go to the connect page of my website, clairegalloway.com and or womenartsex.com connect, I would love to hear from you, I'd love to hear your response to these big subjects and how you interweave with it all Um, there's a lot to unravel together and we're we're doing it together and 
I love this. I love you and I love all being, all life, even all struggle. I love it. Love flowing. Um, stay in touch. Stay connected. Be well. Blessings on your journey. Blessings on your life and your fulfillment and your bliss. Love. Ciao.